Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. This one has been in the works for a while. Yes. <laughs> Maybe the longest build-up of every show. Oh I think it's God. been three years or something like that, because yeah. we were supposed to do a workout with you, and then COVID yeah. and all kinds of other no, stuff. So, yeah, that was 2020. Anyway, so welcome to the show, Mike Metcalf. And so we're going to start with the heartbeat question that we do always on the Anything But Typical podcast, and it's this one, Mike. Mm -hmm. You and Dara on your way, and I mean, I want the visual of uh, this to be burned in everybody's mind. So Mike and his wife Dara are going to rally pickleball courts. Mm. And Mike is is uh, dressed as normal, like he's got his pink spandex on, yep. and he's got his Hawaiian shirt, like mm-hmm. that is just for pickleball, and it's going to be good. It's going to be glorious. Yep. And someone, for some reason, recognizes Mike. You know, I don't not I don't know that it's the pink spandex, but it might be. And they start talking about you. Yeah. And they don't realize that you can overhear everything that they're saying about you. What would you want somebody to say about you, Mike? Oh, man. So, great question. Um, I've been reading a book. I actually brought a, a copy for you guys. It's called In the House of Rising Sounds. It's a, kind of an expose on the Double Dorian. I don't know if you guys ever oh, went sure. there. Yeah, yeah. So, Stephen Copeland... Uh, did the ghost writing for our book 12 second culture mm-hmm. and he used to go there all the time <clears throat> and he was talking about this guy that used to play there every monday named charles harrison is a legendary uh kind of saint you know like had that like local folklore kind of guy yeah big following um and he said that like when he sang it like put a piece of god in you mm. and he he used this word called kenosis which is like this divine outpouring or self-emptying mm. um I would love for people to one day potentially say that might put a piece of God in them. Ooh. First time we've ever heard yeah. that one, isn't it? Yeah, very well said. Like it. <laughs> like I mean, it, Mike. I read that and I was like, this is this is the goal of my life. Yeah, like to, to, to just, I don't want to leave with anything. You know, yeah. just when I'm done, I left it all out for, I went hard for my family, for my friends, um, you know, the people that impacted me. <clears throat> I want them to know that I was grateful for them. Didn't take them for granted. So yeah, hopefully one day I get there. Beautiful. Well, you're already starting to doing it, man. I mean, seriously. So listeners, you're going to hear that in spades when we get deeper into your story. Yeah. So Mike is the co-founder of Deck Leadership and then the co-author, you already alluded to it, the 12 Second Culture. And we were talking beforehand and you were sharing almost a, a pulse of your your life and something you try and keep in mind all the time that came from a, a pretty tragic childhood story. Yeah. So not to start off on that type of note, but I think it sets a good foundation. I'd love if you could share that with the listeners because it, it kind of sets a tone. Yeah. Um, just rock with me here if I lose it for a second. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I told you before, it, it's not... We've had tears on the podcast yeah, before. Okay. So okay, quickly, good. So. Good, good, good. All right. So I'm I'm right at home. Yeah. I got a towel in my bag here. So um Yeah, I was I was um I was six years old and I got a son that's six now and sometimes I look at him and think like, Wow, I had I learned that lesson at this age. Like he's so free and fun and <clears throat> caring you know, not a care in the world. Right. Yeah. Um we were 
playing with my next door neighbors and uh, the another kid up the street and David and Crystal had just got bikes and our house was on a T and um, our houses are here and then the the T part kind of comes downhill and mm. so they were racing their bikes downhill mm. and uh, since I didn't have a bike they're like Mike can you tell us you know see who wins who you know yes right, course, give us the stop start yeah so i'm like all right cool so they get up there they did a couple ones uh kelvin had a like a hot wheel and he was mm-hmm. just getting smoked so he quit so probably about the eighth or ten run uh and crystal was like uh younger closer to my age david was a couple years older and uh uh but super competitive right yeah right trying to beat big brother <laughs> and so like one more time and i'm like all right ready set go and uh, <clears throat> as I say, go. Um, <clears throat> I just see this car coming like out of the corner of my eye, right, and mm-hmm. it just runs right over him. And uh, Crystal died that day. David's been in a <clears throat> a wheelchair ever since. And wow. um, you know, I learned pretty early like that life is valuable. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. usually you get to be a lot older before you like learn something so meaningful or so weighty and so Mm -hmm. i still remember that like it was yesterday and it was like 35 years ago yeah and so uh i've tried like to not waste moments trying to make friendships um mean something Uh, if i love somebody i try to tell them yeah um you know so i think that's something that's kind of stay with me it kind of uh you know kind of helps form that ethos of like put a little piece of God in you right like she was I was six she was seven but still for whatever reason I still feel like she was a big part of my life yeah yeah and it was just that we just got to play you know I I look forward (laughs) to getting out like I remember being that age and like getting my work done so I can go outside and play you know like it's still it's still a good feeling um regardless of like the absence of it yeah wow powerful right as you as you age, and because obviously as a six-year-old, you don't know right. what you just really sure. learned, yeah. right? Yeah. And then as you continue... That comes, growing, out, that comes out in therapy decades later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah. But as you're, as you're getting older and, and you start to have that mentality in your mind of, of life is precious and, and take, take things, don't take things for granted... Um, how were you able to start applying that to just day-to-day life, whether it was in relationships in high school and college or you take, you were talking earlier of you like to take walks and coffee and just be in the moment. So what are some ways that you've been able to apply that, that mentality? Yeah, it's, um, it's unconventional. Um, I think I've just been very transparent, very vulnerable, like mm-hmm. most of my life. Yep. And it's kind of cool now. <laughs> but, but you know, initially it's like ah, Mike's an oversharer. Mike's right. uh, uh-huh. overly emotional. Um, <clears throat> Mike's too much of an includer. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, I I have a faith where the mm-hmm. the guy that established the faith that I follow was an includer. He loved everybody. You know, yeah. he wanted. You know, it didn't matter. You know what their background was. You know, he he wanted to show love. So. Um, I think that's the main thing, mm-hmm. you know, yep. like just live out loud and, and be okay with it. Yeah. Vulnerability is almost a, uh, like a punchline now. Sure. Right. Yeah. When you say it and it's like, oh, I'm being vulnerable. I'm being and that's vulnerable. a great thing. <laughs> Four years ago, that was not the <laughs> that case That is not the case. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I was a weirdo. Four right, years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. 
Gary, Gary, Gary would call it trendsetter, but you're... <laughs> that's right, um, you're trailblazing. <laughs> yep. Another thing that, that's really interesting about your story before we get to any business stuff is uh, that you were a college athlete, mm -hmm. right? So you were running back for, for App State. I want to talk about going into college what what was that vision for yourself? Was it I'm just I'm gonna go to college and I'm gonna play sports, or was that kind of just a step along the road? What was your vision for yourself at that point in your life? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think anybody wanting to play sports in college wants to do it as long as they can, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So you want to think that you can play professionally, even if you can or can't, right? Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know what to major in, so I roundabout way ended up in finance and banking not because I cared about finance or banking but I knew I was going to make money doing something I just mm. wanted to have an idea of how to <clears throat> manage it um, and, yeah. and make it work for me for a little bit um, I didn't really have like I started playing football late my first year was in the my sophomore year of football so okay, I only played wow. a couple years and then I blew my shoulder out my junior year so I missed mm. the whole offseason um, mm -hmm. and then somehow I was like the third best running back in the region my senior year wow and then but everybody had already committed and all that so yeah. i walked on a school at uh, in jefferson city tennessee called carson newman college so i walked on there as a d2 school uh then tore my acl and then wasn't going to quit just because at that point with the shoulder and the knee and having to walk on after being what i thought was pretty good i was just like i don't know if this is going to work now rewind the school that I, this is, I don't talk, talk about this a whole lot, but the school that I went to in the ninth grade did not have a football team, and it was a school that my parents had said, this is where you're going, you know, 9 through 12. Mm. And I remember in PE one day, uh, Daryl Bago was a PE coach, and he had played football in college and said, uh, man, I wish we had a football team. Like, I think you'd be good at it. Mm. And I remember praying that night, like, God, if there's a way for me to, like, make you proud through the game of football like you you got to make it happen because this this school doesn't have a team and wow. my, my parents ain't moving me so um the next day my mom said hey we're gonna look at moving you over to uh charlotte christian school and i was like what <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry what did you say yeah, they have a football team right? they have a football team talk about asking you shall receive <laughs> well i i just that was like the first time where i was like man this prayer this god guy is listening this is wow. this is interesting um so but then it doesn't go the way i want it to go like i do play i'm doing good my junior year and then i blow my shoulder out so then i'm out and i miss all the camps and then i have an incredible senior year no no offers so then i walk on to a school and red shirt do well and then going into spring ball tear my ACL so then I'm like so I rehab that <clears throat> get back to my sophomore year play in a couple games and then dislocate my shoulder wow so then at that point I was just like I'm done with like this what am I doing this for yep. what the like that whole prayer thing was a waste because this is clear I missed it somehow right mm -hmm. um and so I was going to transfer to UNC Charlotte and a buddy of mine that was at A&T that I went to high school with he was transferring to App planning to play there I'm going to wrap this up in a second. Uh, oh, you're fine. <laughs> he asked me a simple question. I was just like still talking <laughs> 10 minutes later. Um, and he was like, man, well, at least come to App because they have a team. Like, if you ever want to play again, 
you won't be able to at UNCC. They didn't have a team at the time. Oh, wow. So I was already enrolled and everything. I had picked out my classes. I was done. And I was like, okay, fine. He was like, well, I'm taking a visit up there next week. Come with me. And I said, okay, sure. And he walks in and meets Tommy Hoke, who's a strength coach. Oliver Thompson, nice to meet you. He brought his brother with him, Oren, big old guy. He was a he was a player at Duke, went to the NFL. He's like, Are you coming too? He was like, Nah. I was like, he was like, dang it. He was like, Well, what about you? And I said, Yep, I'll be here in the fall. Like I didn't even Wow. I I hadn't applied, nothing. Like I didn't even it just seemed like I I, I didn't even want to say yes, but I just I knew I needed to. Hmm. <clears throat> Get there, sit out in the fall spring tear it up last practice tear my ACL again <laughs> so but so after rehabbing again that summer and um, you know press through I don't know why but I just did and I didn't know any other option and uh, ended up playing and earning a scholarship and you know that set the course to be able to trained to play professionally and which that opened the door to get into racing which opened the door for me to compete on pit crews and then coach and train pit crews and then teach other people how to do that and win championships and write books and speak and so I mean it's all it all worked out and is working out um it just there's some turbulence at the takeoff (laughs) (laughs) a lot of turbulence at the takeoff yeah where where did that grit determination type mindset where did that come from anything in particular you can point out a, a mentor or family anything like that growing up yeah I mean my, my grandmother um, I was just with her a few hours ago uh, just continues to be a source of inspiration for me um, mm-hmm. had my dad uh, I think she was like 15 years old and Detroit um, her father was uh, killed when she was young um, But, like, what I mean, like, you know, just one of those stories of, like, just having to claw through high school and make money and just figuring it out. And sometimes dad, you know, her son would go stay with other family members while she traveled for work or just had to just figure out life, right? And she's maybe the smartest person I know. Like, she's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, And she's, you know, in her 80s and she's... (laughs) sending me four or five emails a day about, hey, did you hear what happened over in uh, Mongolia? I'm like, no, how did you know? Like, <laughs> you know? Wow. She's just up on everything, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, just the fact that like she's just strong, strong-willed um, and so I can always just like tap into, and she gave that to my dad. He works 12-hour shifts, seven days on, seven days off. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> incredible work ethic. Um, my wife always encourages me and pushes me to keep going. You know, these are the people that carry me now. But, you know, up until then, I mean, it was, you know, kind of going back to that experience at the age of six. It's like, okay, yeah, I tore something and I, and I'm, I'm miserable and I hate it. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. Right. Like I could be like, I could have been in that car accident. Right. You know, like, yeah. So um, I have some sort of breath. I'm alive, and even if I can't run, I can walk, or if I can't rock, I can crawl, or if I can't crawl, I can, you know, I can still sit here and breathe and appreciate that. So I've tried to just figure out, you know, how to be grateful for what I have and focus on that. I think it's really interesting that you, at a really tender age, saw some pretty powerful 
lessons that instilled some gratitude but I also think it's really interesting that you know this faith journey that you've got where you you make a simple prayer as a kid your prayers answered the next day but we we in, interject a mm -hmm. certain outcome that we think uh, that's going to be and rarely is the outcome what we had hoped or prayed for but prayers still get answered and if you look back I mean it's always 2020 looking in hindsight right but to see the patterns and see how this thing has led you into some amazing things and I want to get into what deck leadership is doing and what like take us through that journey into NASCAR and anybody listen to this go look at his book I you gave me a copy I read it I read three books while we were on vacation on our 40th wedding anniversary this summer and that was one of my favorites um, 12 second 12 second culture and you it's uh, 12 second book or 12 second yeah 12 second culture book dot com yeah there you and go. the 12 was the numbers number so 12 one, yeah, yeah one yeah. two yep 12 second culture book dot com so you you got a, a a specific meaning behind that and even how you wrote the book mm -hmm. with each chapter and what's going on in those seconds which is really interesting so take us from App State and college and those the, those experiences into NASCAR. Like, how did that happen? And then, what were some of the the journey points that you know have created what now is Deck Leadership? So, yeah, Deck Leadership is diversity, efficiency, culture, and kindness. Just um, I'll jump forward and then jump back. Uh, cool. We, Sean and I took over the pit crew program of Chip Ganassi Racing um, in 2000, and uh, I think that was 14, and I would say by like 16, I mean, even even in 14, I mean, we had a pit stop that was incredible, and we ended up winning the all-star race, and it's a million-dollar payout, and, that was, and people were kind of like, whoa, what's going Like, these guys are fast now. Like, what happened? And it wasn't that there wasn't talent on the team before. It's just mm. entitlement and self-centeredness. You know, people just kind of had um, – they were comfortable, right? And so yeah. we, we turned a culture around of teams that were ranked like 20th and 23rd and started putting people, like our teams are top five. And we're knocking wow. off the Giant, the Hendricks, and the Gibbs. And they their budgets are were twice, two, three times ours. So people were like, what What are you doing? Like, yeah. What, yeah. What is happening? And so, you know, like how do we get our team to function like a pit crew? And so Sean and I just started putting some things. Man, I wish there was a book about it. And we're like, well, maybe we should write one, you know. <laughs> but we had to figure out, all right, what, what's our formula? Yeah. What was our formula for speed? And it was diversity. It was efficiency. It was culture. It was kindness. And so that's uh, – we're big on core values. Like you yeah. know, any business, like if you, you know, like an Enron, some of these big companies that have just gone way yeah. off the path right. have forgotten their values. Mm -hmm. So we made our values our company name so we wouldn't forget them because we're both meatheads. <laughs> um, <laughs> can't, can't forget it. It's the name of it. Um, you are not a meathead, man. <laughs> you, you have muscles like a meathead, but you are not a meathead. All right. I look the part. Um, so, yeah. So going back, I mean, just even from, I mean, I, I, I 
was training for this combine in Indianapolis. Um, guy named Ben Cook. He was the trainer. He was a uh, basketball uh, strength and conditioning coach at UNC Chapel Hill and moved to Charlotte. Um, kind of around the time where, you know, the Hornets, Panthers were taking off. So he was training some mm. of these, like, you know, professional guys. Steve Smith, Julius Peppers. Oh, yeah, and then cool. there's a little old me over here in the corner, like, trying to keep up. But... Uh, he ended up getting hired by or picking up Casey Kane as a client, old race car driver. Sure. And so uh, Casey was like, told Ray Evernham, the boss, like, man, you got this guy. This trainer's amazing. And uh, if you're going to, if we're starting to do the thing, like what I think we're doing, we're bringing athletes in, he would be a great guy. So they meet, he gets hired. I go to Indianapolis. Um, and then when I get back, Ben says, hey, I, I'm doing this other thing too, where I train these pit crew guys. Um, like to run you through a tryout. So I did a like an actual workout, like a combine, mm-hmm. which I had just trained for. So obviously, you know, you got Joe Mechanic coming in. Like it's not going to be a comparison right. of who's going to run a faster 40 time. Right, right, right. So, so my, my tryout went well. And, uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but some of the guys had went into the shop and told people, like, I've never seen anybody pick up you know, putting a tire on or holding a gas can or a gun as quick as we just saw this guy. Hmm. And so that was, here's another fun story. So that was uh, August of 05. And then the combine went pretty decent. I had some other Fabada CFL tryout um, that went pretty good. They went with another guy, but I was like top two. So I was like, yeah, you know, if I keep working, I could probably do this. I can do CFL. Like, there's an, a t- team in Italy that was wanted me to come over. Um, there's an arena team that wanted me to play because um, I was training. Like, I was on it. I was yeah. like, this is what I'm going to do. So my numbers were good. Um, but this racing thing kept kind of, like, haunting me. And they kept saying, like, we're interested, we're interested, we're interested. And now that I'm in it, I understand. Like, there's a 911 every day. So the developmental kid that mm-hmm. you want to hire for an internship is not a priority. So it came to the winter and I was like, I gotta make a decision. I got some I gotta either pick football or I'm gonna do this racing thing and I the church I was at, at the time, um, the pastor had said something about for this new year, um, God's gonna open some doors for some of you, but like they're probably it might just be cracked. It might be up for you to go bust through it. Hmm. And so I was like, Let me give this a shot. So I just showed up to work the next day. <laughs> My one asked me to be there. Um, <laughs> so I go to the receptionist and I'm like, hey, you guys have been saying you wanted to hire me for three months now. I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> I accept. <laughs> yes. And the lady, of course, was like, huh? And and so she was like, uh, um, a moment. So she called the GM. Hey, are you expecting Mike Metcalf today? And I was like. <laughs> I was like, I know, you, I know he's not. Like, I know. And so he came down and was like, "Hey, uh, man, yeah. So um, we we definitely want to, you know, uh, look in and explore this. Um, wasn't expecting you today. Um, uh, uh, sit, sit sit right here for a second. So he called down to one of the parts rooms and was like, "Hey," and I could hear the guy through the other phone. He was like, "Do you guys need help?" And he was like, "Um, yesterday." I don't care. As long as they have a pulse, just give me somebody. He was like, I'm drowning down here. And he was like, kid, you got a pulse? I was like, sure do. And he's like, you know anything about parts? I said, nope. <laughs> I said, well, that's where you're starting. I was like, perfect. 
So I went down to the parts room and just started helping out. I think at lunchtime they gave me some like some sort of paperwork so that I wasn't working illegally. I ended up staying till like seven or eight that night. Just everybody left around four or five, so I stayed a couple hours to get one of the guys to just show me the system. I helped move some stuff that came in late. I showed up early the next day, and I did that for several weeks, just as trying to learn as much as I could, thinking that this racing thing might be something that I would do for maybe five years and then maybe go to Charlotte, so banking jobs are everywhere, mm-hmm. or maybe go use that finance degree. And uh, five years has come and gone a couple times, so it's yeah. uh, been a career for me. And um, feel very fortunate to have had the opportunities that I've had and just from the standpoint of how I came into it was just I, I was the diversity of the organization at that <laughs> point <laughs> I mean weren't a whole lot of people in my pigment you know floating through that hallway definitely not on the pit crew I mean so that was kind of like for me when it comes to our company diversity was kind of a start and just uh, I had a different experiences different background I was able to Mm-hmm. talk about things from an athletic standpoint and guys were like oh wow that does make sense you know and so i feel like i helped kind of elevate the athletic acumen of the organization um and then efficiency is you know building trust and so that was just building a relationship and learning the systems and the process of how you would spend sometimes a month maybe even two obsessing over something that would make your process or tool or a car a two tenths of a second faster mm-hmm. and i was like we're going to spend how much time to try to find two tenths? They're like as much long time as it takes. Like two tenths can be a million dollars for us. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And so I learned this like, I don't know, I just kind of like was able to tap into like the mindset of what, you know, the engineering and R&D teams, like what they were doing. I I spent time with them. I traveled on R&D trips um, just to learn. Um, And then obviously culture is the most important of those three, I think, because you're not going to have efficiency or diversity if you don't have healthy culture. Yeah. Right? It's one of those things where um, it governs the choices people make each and every day. You know, our culture, everybody says culture, culture, culture. It really is the environment. It's the big word that people kind of miss. Mm-hmm. The, and that's your core values, right? Mm-hmm. Your environment helps it tone each day. Different environments, departments, leadership uh, styles, people are going to have slightly different cultures, but if it's buying into the same environment, those are the teams that are winning, right? Mm-hmm. And then kindness is the thing that holds it all together, and that's being kind to ourselves, and then, you know, our processes that other people have to use. It's not good enough to make a, you know, hey, I, I built you the best suspension package, but I left your cart a mess, so now you're having to spend extra time doing things that don't apply to your job. You know, right. like it's making efficiencies along the way, and mm-hmm. that builds trust and rapport. Um, and to me, that's kindness, right? There's different ways that we can talk about that. But um, and then that, you know, I, I definitely hit a wall last year. Gotten burned out, um, and I think that I it took me about a year to figure out that I, that's what it was happening and I was experiencing just completely mm. burned out. But um, I look back on it now and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. I respect that. You know, I pushed it to the line. Yeah, right. (laughs) I know how much I have in me now, you know. I think there's an efficiency to that, but it is important to be kind to ourselves. So um, so that's my kind of, like, story of racing a little bit through through the company. Yeah. So I want to go back into a few of those things more specifically, but first I want to piggyback off of what you just said. If you got to that point of you finally realized that it was burnout. Yeah. Give us a peek behind the curtain of what what did that look like? How did you realize what it was? And then on the flip side, what did you do to make sure 
you got yourself in the right spot again and set yourself up for success going forward? Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I this would have been last summer. Um, I had I was just tired. <laughs> I was just tired. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, a team that was under new ownership, Trackhouse Racing. Love Justin Marks and his vision for the company. Um, I it felt like it was my own company. Like that's how I treated it. Yeah. As if I had put every dollar up for it. Yep. Yeah. And gave it everything I had. Um, there was a lot of people vying for control and and trying to push the team in different directions and I'm I'm like big brother I'm like no this is what we're doing <laughs> so I'm like just battling out I'm up early I'm in late uh there's days where and I'm trying to do the best I can to be present at home um yeah. and uh my wife and I are in a really really good place now but uh it's just one of those seasons where we're both really busy yeah and I think all the the people can agree especially with you having young kids like sometimes it's just like a track meet yeah or really you're right. just yeah. you're just handing the baton off yeah, like yeah. all right who's getting the kid like and you can get through wednesday and it's like have we even talked about anything important right or said i love you or it's just like who's cooking dinner who's getting the kids and it was just like it was months of that for both of us very both very busy yeah trying to keep up with the kids and you know i and you know I'd, I'd get into the shop some days at like five and do some stuff and then get back home to get the kids to school and then go back and then you see people and then I'm rolling in you know at 9 30 they don't know I've already been there for two and a half hours yeah. right oh get here when you can Metcalf and I'm like <laughs> right if you only knew I've been working circles around you guys you know um but uh it but I, you just you, you can't do that forever right and right. I remember just like driving home one day and I just feel like I was about to black out. Wow. And uh, and I was like, this that's not good. <laughs> um, and then it happened again like a week later. And then it was like the very next day. And I just, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to close my eyes and just wish hope for the best like I'm just gonna run this car off the road I was like I'm probably not going fast enough to kill myself but enough to get a break you know wow maybe end up in the because I remember at the time somebody got an accident in the hospital for a couple weeks and I was like envious of them like just the fact that they um could have the ability to just like unplug I was just so deep into everyone's yeah. issues every drama that was going on every process that we're building and i think burnout is just like a simple um equation of your responsibility being way more than your resources mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> whatever those resources are right time energy um budgets whatnot so i mean i'm like buying doing stuff with my own money and i i, I just i i did every in and it was good, right? Like it, but it came at a cost. I mean, we had a great year, won most awards, picked for the year, um, missed the championship by like one point four seconds. Wow! Like I, like I, there's nothing else I could have done differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it came at a cost, and so um, you know, so on one hand, like I, I I'm always mindful of the story where 
changing the rosters around. You had to do that a good bit, you know, trying to find how do we make these teams faster. Mm-hmm. And one year, our GM asked who we were going with, and uh, and uh, I said uh, we're going to go with these this you know six here. And there was a rookie kid on there. He was like, "Ooh, uh, is he ready?" I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> like, well, like, what the heck? Like, why are we putting him in? I was like, he's going to be one of the best to ever do it. But he's probably going to have a couple loose wheels. Mm. Loose wheels aren't good. Right. <laughs> loose yeah. wheels aren't good. But but he has in him that ability to push it. Mm. And you can't, you can't buy that. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, but he's going to have to learn mm-hmm. where, his, where his line is. And so our our guy just said like, oh. and he was a former tire changer. Well, I never had any loose wheels. I was a changer. And he paused for a second and said, "Now that I'm thinking about that, like I regret that. Mm. You know, like why did why did he say that? Mm. He wasn't pushing it. He wasn't pushing it. He he it hit him like I never took the risk mm-hmm. to be the absolute best that I could be." And so I, I kind of like my family. We we spent most of our summer in Spain, which is part of the reason why we did not record this podcast earlier this year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I had no excuse for the last couple of years. <laughs> I do for this summer. <laughs> but uh, so when I was able to kind of unplug and think back on this last year, um, initially it was like kind of sorrow. Like how did I let myself get to where I was so my priorities were so out of whack to where I felt mm. like wrecking my car was a good solution yeah because i'm a leader like i'm people look up to me and come to me when they're down so i'm not supposed to be down you know right. like there's all these yeah. things in my head yeah. but then that, I, that's almost like a built-in excuse you're like oh i got in an accident i i can't come into work right yeah. right yeah. yeah i wasn't able to in those moments just say i need help yeah. um mm-hmm. but now that i'm you know through it right uh, I'm like, you know, I pushed it. Yeah. <laughs> I, gave, I know I know I gave it all I did. Like I could. And I'm you know, I'm I'm happy with that and it helped achieve some incredible outcomes. Um that kid by the way, um, was on that team last year that won pick crew of the year. Like he's he's phenomenal, right? And it's so hmm. you know, even just that story of him, uh shout out to Ken. Um continues to, to bring me hope to know that all right now I know where my line is now I know when mm-hmm. to stop but it lets me know like I can have like good things are going to happen when I when I when I decide hey I want to go after something right yeah and, and most people never never know what their line is sure right never push themselves to the point of really <laughs> understanding there's my threshold mm-hmm. and now I can be 10% behind that sure. and be able to sustain that yeah I think I mean that go back to the letter E I think it's efficient like I know where I'm at yep yep so for the rest of my life when I start to feel like okay mm-hmm. here's that feeling creeping in again okay that's too much yeah I can back it down yeah so, that's right yeah one thing that you said earlier on that I wanted to kind of emphasize because it, it's kind of a charged term but this whole diversity yep it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people mm-hmm. and it can be weaponized uh, to mean skin color or certain ethnic or I mean uh, you know ideological sure. bents or whatever but that isn't like if you read the book 
diversity is not about that. It's no. not about checking the box on quotas or anything like that. It's about diversity of thought, complementary skills, and outside the box. I mean, the fact that you showed up, not the fact that you're a black guy, but because you showed up and you're like, hey, I'm here. Let's do this. Let's do this. And like, what, 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 what? No. <laughs> I mean, what an amazing thing. You know, um, you came with batteries installed. Sure. You came with humility, being willing, like, it wasn't like, hey, where's my corner office? No, you didn't come with uh, an expectation of entitlement. You came to serve. Those are hugely different. But even as you've talked about, and the, and the book is really, really good on looking at what true diversity is, like complementary skill sets, communication, those kind of things, I, th- I thought were you know, quite good. So, Thank you. Um, you know, you, you could have just said, well, hey, I, 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 I checked that box, entitlement. That's not your modus operandi at mm-hmm. all. So I just thought that was in- interesting. So anybody listening to that, you hear that term, some, some people may even get triggered over it. Sure. Um, you need to understand this guy's heartbeat and we're all better if we, like the worst thing that you can do is have a whole bunch of people that do the same thing mm-hmm. and look at the problems through the same lens. It's an echo chamber. Right. You know, you, you don't want a whole bunch of jack men. You need one yep. on the team. You don't need a whole bunch of them. Yep. And uh, so I, I think even just the acronym of DEC leadership, and you've talked about it a couple times so that you remember your core values. That's the other thing that I thought that was really amazing about the book was just like you gave practicality and action to culture. So I, I do want to clarify one thing though. So let's talk about when you and Sean decided to launch deck leadership. You know, still working on a crew see a need out there hey what if we could do this like talk to us about the impetus of going from hey you know we're kind of rock stars i mean you never carry yourself that way but it is kind of rock star status in your world of what you did no no ifs ands or buts about it so what was it that got you guys dreaming scheming and actually implementing this idea of, hey, let's take stuff from what we've learned in creating high-performance teams that were low-performance teams and take it to corporate America or other outside of NASCAR, let's just put it that way. Yeah. <clears throat> There's kind of two different stories. One is that there was a need for it. You know, people kept asking the same questions. How do I get my team to function like a crew? Wish there was a book. Can you come yeah. talk to us? <clears throat> and then uh, somebody had reached out to the company, uh, the team we were with at the time, Chip Ganassi Racing, that has a NASCAR team, had a NASCAR team here. That's what is now Trackhouse. So Chip sold that to Justin. And then there's an indie shop for an IndyCar Pro Series. And uh, so they called there. Like, hey, can somebody come speak at the NFL Combine this year? So mm. 
interestingly enough, Indy is like kind of a sweet sweet place for me because that was training for that combine in Indy was what opened the door to be in racing. Interesting. And yeah. then it was another speaking opportunity in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine that was really like our first time presenting. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So. I thought our speech was terrible. So, you know, first of all, there's a, there's like 150 speakers that week. Uh, and everyone, I mean, the most accomplished people, you know, CEOs of major companies, doctors, like they're all yeah. talking to like NFL, uh, the upper echelon, trainers, doctors, operation directors of every NFL team is represented in this conference. And it's important. Like this yeah. is where they do all of their main strategy stuff, find who their draft picks are going to be, all that. And um, so everybody had um, consonants and paragraphs behind their names, except for two people. And in the eleven o'clock session on Tuesday was just Mike and Sean. Like that was. <laughs> I'm sure, they were all very excited for yeah, that one. Right? <laughs> like, who are these idiots going? It's like, why are we even here? Like, let's take a early lunch. And then, but afterwards. <laughs> Every, I mean, there was a line, and and mm. people were like, "Hey, I've been here. You know, I've been doing this conference for ten years, twenty years, whatever. Uh, I've taken more notes. I took more notes in you guys' thirty minutes than I have all morning. Or all, wow! And so, and we were here, and it was like, interestingly enough, the main people that like, and then I mean, they they were like, "Hey, can we go out, step outside, and talk?" And it was the Niners, it was the Patriots, it was the Chiefs, and it was the Packers. Wow. And I was like, interesting. These are the teams that win all the time, right? Wasn't the bottom <laughs> of the barrel? No, you know the Raiders guys, you know, and the Browns, <laughs> the Browns guy. Yeah, they were like, "All right, lunchtime, woohoo!" Um, but the the I'm missing a couple, but but they were all. It was like six or so team, like people wow. from teams that were like, "Hey, I want to like I want to talk." Like they were trying to download us from like anything we knew, into the point where uh, some guys from the Chiefs wanted us to come out the next time we raced in Kansas and they were like hey we want you to come spend a couple of days on campus with us so we ended up doing that end up meeting coach Reed and oh, cool. next, so it's just like it just kept growing and yep. you know next thing you know I'm like we did this what I thought awful presentation and then next thing you know we're <laughs> sitting with the most interesting thing about Andy Reed so I'm, I'm I've been out to Arrowhead like several times since uh still have friends that are on the team there and uh he so his his the knock on him um, pre Super Bowl champion was that he didn't make play calls like clutch like he he got flustered you know when it mattered and so what he started doing was was he would read one book but then be listening to a different audio book on his earphones so he goes through two books at a time and that was his practice to be able to listen to the coordinators but then also read his sheet his play calling oh sheet. interesting wow. So he's like a genius. Yeah, no kidding. But even genius has to be trained, and there's skill development. You know, so I, like I learned so much just from talking to him. You know, for an hour, and then he started getting antsy at the ends of it, and he was like, "You know, um, God, like I'm loving this conversation. I'm, I'm, I wish I had booked more time. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I have dinner with Garth Brooks here in a few minutes. I don't want to be late." And we're like, "You should go." <laughs> Yeah, 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 we're we're fine. Like, don't it's don't Mike do and Pete here. <laughs> just Mike and Pete. <laughs> yeah, Mike, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so it 
stuff like that just gave us hope. Like, you know, if um, if Coach Reed thinks what we're doing is cool, like wow. maybe we should try to do to do more of it. And so yep. we tried to do something with the race team at that time, and we kind of built out a program and kind of sold it through the team. And the team did really well on it, and we executed it and did the presentation and all that kind of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and people ate it up. And we're like, okay, if we did this on our own, it would yeah. just – it would it would be no different. So why not let's take a, take the leap? I want to. It's, you're talking, and in my mind, there's eight different ways I want to go. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to hear about the next evolution of that, right? So you're making the transition. You say, okay, there's actually something here. People are paying mm-hmm. attention. It's having an impact. Can you talk about the implementation of it? And and it can be throughout the NASCAR side or the stuff you do on the corporate side, but how did that implementation work and what were some of the hurdles you hit? Well, yeah, there was, I mean, I I think there's still hurdles. Um, There's always been kind of this thin line between, you know, I think we probably put it in the book, but we've been labeled fundamentally unemployable, Sean and I. We're not the best <laughs> listeners, so <laughs> telling us no isn't necessarily going to work um, if it's something that we believe in. <laughs> so, yeah. I, and I, it's a tragic flaw of mine, but uh, I'm working on it. But, um, you know, we never really saw a separation. You know, like if <clears throat> if we were entertaining a client that wasn't directly putting money into the race team, but they were interested in us. Well, we work for the race team. Right. And they're being exposed to or going to come to a racetrack or swing by the shop or kind of get some sort of, uh, you know, immersion in, in what the NASCAR world is. And so that was that, that was kind of the biggest hurdle was just kind of overcoming the noise of like, you're doing this for selfish reasons. Mm. And it was never that. It was like, Hey, these people are saying because one of the mm-hmm. things that you know I had a uh, coming back from my second ACL tear, also an emotional story. But um, I remember I, I went to my my coach and said, "Hey, what do I need to to do to to get?" Because I mm. when it when the spring ball ended, I was playing really well. Mm. And I felt like I had rehabbed and gotten back there, but then I was second string. And uh, I was like, what do I need to do to be number one? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just said, we lost uh, you to injury and Chris transferred. So I brought Alan in to be my number one guy. And we made a commitment to him and his, his family. And we know we got you if we need you. You know, I'll see you on the field mm-hmm. later for practice. And, uh, <clears throat> man, that hurt. Mm-hmm. Oh, that hurt. Because... You know, up until then, I, I thought if you worked hard, you could accomplish anything. Right. He was telling me that that's not how it works. Right. Um, and sometimes it's not how, a lot of times it's not how it works. A lot of right. times it's not a merit, 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 I can't say that word today. Meritocracy. <laughs> sometimes not a meritocracy. That's right, yeah. Um, and so I often think about how I wish that conversation had gone. Mm. He could have told me all that. But then followed it by, but Gary, I want you to show up tomorrow like you're the starter. Yeah. I think that's in, in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to to keep pressing on. You've overcome a couple injuries. Like, don't stop now. Like, 
Yeah. I got a guy. He's my number one. But be a leader. Yeah. Keep pushing. Be a leader in the classroom. Show up every day. Give it everything you got, man. And I will get you out there as much as I can. And, man, we'll, we'll look back and be proud about what we accomplished. Uh, I got a meeting I had to get to, but can't wait to see you out there later. Yeah. He would have been telling me I'm not going to start, but he would have done it in a way that <clears throat> inspired me to keep pushing. And yeah. so when it comes to when I engage with people that are at that point yeah, where they need that inspiration to keep pushing because they're good leaders, but it's hard and they're losing steam. Yeah. Uh, it, in that moment, it's not about who gets paid for it. It's just like, yeah. or where the the interest or the sponsorship's going to go. I just want to help. So, I've got a question on that. There's a lot of managing of of your emotions there, right? Because sure. You're in this situation. You have to be able to conduct yourself. How do you communicate that to the people you're you're coaching and working with now? Being able to understand your emotions, but also be able to manage them appropriately. Uh, yeah. How do you how do you communicate that to people now? Uh, there's, there's several ways. Um, I have learned this by, uh, you know, unfortunately not managing my emotions. Mm. Um, I can think of, um, a friend of mine just called me today. She, she was actually at this race. She was like, I don't know why I was thinking about that, but I've never seen that crew chief so pissed. And I was like, yeah, I didn't like the strategy that we had at Darlington one year. We kept pitting at a time that we didn't need to, <clears throat> and uh, hmm. it was putting me in a bad place, like with like the fueling numbers and how we had to, it, the car had to enter the box. And it, so anyway, I just I was super frustrated, and I remember just thinking like, so I know that in the there's a certain sweet spot of me being able to get the car full on a full run, and where we were pitting was not going to be that sweet spot. Like I was going to have to be short, but I just took it upon myself to be like, oh, I'm going to show him that mm. I'm the man. Like I can get this done. And that's not what happened. The car takes off with the can in it. And, oh, that's, wow. and that's a huge penalty. And we were running top three that day and did not finish top three. And so like, that's a, that was a tough lesson for me, but I can share that and just say like, I didn't manage the anger that I had in that moment. Mm. Um, even further, I talked a little bit about being in Spain for the summer and uh, just having some time to reflect. Um, there was a, a, <laughs> a longtime teammate who I uh, fired about six years ago, and uh, I did not manage my emotions in that conversation. Um, I'm one of the leaders and I preach about kindness and stuff like that. And that, mm. I, there's nothing kind about anything that I said to him in that moment. I just snapped. Hmm. Um, and so, and I had been very angry with him since. Um, and for whatever reason in, in, uh, in Spain, uh, some conversations with some friends that just kind of encouraged me to one friend in, in specific was like telling me like, you need to let this go. Hmm. And so I just found his number. I called him, left a message, and he called me back a couple of nights later and just said, hey, is this, Mike, is this you? And I said, uh, yep. He's like, so I listened to that message five, ten times, hmm. and uh, I've had nightmares for six years. Wow. He said, um, I thought about calling you. I didn't think you would care, 
the way that it all ended. He's like, I know I danced outside the lines, but if there's anybody that I would have expected to just try to put their arm around me and, you know, be a, a coach and a friend, I thought it might be you. And then when you went off the way you did, he was like, I just, he's like, I, I, I battled depression. <clears throat> Hmm. Thought about putting the bullet in my head. Thought about putting the bullet in yours. Hmm. Um, but last night after that message was the first time we're actually like got a good night's rest in six years. Wow. So it made me feel pretty crappy, obviously, to hear that. And um, and I had had that like some anger right associated with that event. But on the the yang to that was his pain. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, <clears throat> I wish I had handled that better earlier. I wish I had managed those emotions mm. earlier. I wish I had had this conversation. It would have been nice for that to only maybe be six weeks, not six years. Yep. Um, and we, as leaders and as men, you know, our words impact people uh, so much more, I think, than we, than we think. Mm-hmm. Right? And so um, these are the hard knock lessons that I've, I've learned some years ago, uh, some lately. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it matters, you know, yeah. um, your emotions are kind of like your little stock ticker. They kind of let you know how valuable or not valuable you are in the lives of others each and every day. And, um, you know, so I, I just say, yeah, manage those emotions as well as you can. So I've got to add one little observation there because the culture thing is a really important thing for me too. You know, that's what makes or breaks good companies, I think. Yep. It's a huge one. And and uh, in the book, you talk a lot about that. You give some really practical ways of, like, how you hire for mm-hmm. culture. Like, there's some gems in there. If anybody's <laughs> listening to this, get that book. I'm telling you. And I don't know that I've ever said that on any of these podcasts oh, yeah, before. Well, <laughs> so, I think you said you read it twice. Yeah, I did. Which, is, which I was very honored <laughs> to hear that. That's, yeah, and I don't read books twice except for a few uh, upside of adversity and purpose-driven life I've read multiple times too but very few and 12 second and culture 12 second and 12 yeah. second culture hey we're on the podium I'll yeah, take that's it. right that's right top three uh, but here's the point I think a lot of people take the pass on culture because hey if I put this stuff out there I'm going to be held accountable for that and mm-hmm. guess what I'm not perfect well guess what Mike Metcalf isn't either. Neither no. is Sean P. No. <clears throat> However, when you put the line in the sand and say, this is what we're going to hold ourselves to, you hold yourself to it. And when you fail to do that, at some point, you got to hold yourself accountable and admit it. Well, okay, it took you six years. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, it's but embarrassing. Well, but so here's the deal, though. We all have stuff where we have failed. And, and the fact that you owned it. Because the longer that goes, the easier it is to sweep it under the carpet, excuse it, you know, um, justify yourself. But that says a lot to me. And, um, you know, thank you for saying that because you can come on here and just be your showreel. Go, go check him out on Instagram, man. Mike Metcalf, look at how awesome he is. But you just shared some behind the scenes reels. <laughs> that makes the difference so thank you because that's a leader as far as i'm concerned i appreciate that thank you yeah this entire conversation has been 
a lot less about business specifically and more about life lessons learned along the way than a lot of, uh, of our episodes. I think that's immensely valuable. Yeah. So appreciate the authenticity and again, not to use that as a buzzword, but the true like vulnerability behind it. Um, so want to give you a, a chance here at the end if there's any anything else that you want people to take away and then and then we'll talk about where they can find you and find the book um i was on a call yesterday with uh it's a group a company called avery dennison um manufacturing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh <clears throat> sorry about that they uh we're talking about um the conversation was called race so it was kind of like a diverse dei training mm -hmm. sean and i were leading and uh we had some people kind of pushing back on some stuff which is good right like you want people to engage you know yeah. that, um saying you know talk about all the time like if you have um a very quiet group you don't have harmony harmony you have apathy right like yeah engage groups have yeah. conflict you know yeah. I, you know you look at navy seal teams and all like they're there's conflict everywhere, right? But they just manage it and they talk to each mm -hmm. other and work through it. Um, so we had a little bit of, you know, some stuff. I'm not trying to put all their business out there. It was a really good call. Um, and I, I, from like this, the diversity, you kind of brought it up earlier. I just like to ask people, do you have a 401k or a retirement plan or a stock portfolio? And everyone's like, yeah, you know, or, you know, have had it at some, whatever. Mm -hmm. Is it diversified? everyone's like yeah i'm like well why what why would you diversify a portfolio then so you don't have too much risk in any one category exactly and i was like that's what we're talking about that's yeah it. that's it so when it comes to race or lgbtq or gender equality when it comes to you know authority and pay and all these types of things like you don't have to agree with any of it yeah. What what we can't do is make these other groups' life a battleground. Yeah. You know, like you can't, we can't make put obstacles in front of other people. Like our job is just to be loving, mm -hmm. you know, as leaders. Um, and so then the question is always like, well, I don't even know what to say. I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to get on somebody's bad side, which is yeah. legit, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. there's dollars and yeah. there's livelihoods at stake here. Um, I always just say, like, when it comes to these conversations, um, race or whatever it is, just if you put a G in front of race, what is it? Grace. And just run the race with grace, man. Like, mm -hmm. whatever the conversation is, however you want to engage in it. Like, if you lead and people know, like, hey, I don't know the right words to say. I'm probably going to say something that's going to trigger or cancel. Yeah. I'm not, it's not my intention. Yep. Can you have grace for me? I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to understand. I want to empathize. I want to learn how to include so that we as a team come together. Yeah. I've never heard a conversation like that go south. Yeah. But it takes humility. And if you have humility in these conversations, you always get the grace coming back at the end. So, um, my former teammate of six years is going to be in town soon. Um, I got a gift for him. I can't wait to give him. Hmm. Um, there's another kid that we had a, and <clears throat> he kind of left, not on great terms that I just spoke with a couple days ago. Um, and these gentlemen have shown me incredible grace. Hmm. And so, 
I don't know. I just want to pass that out to everybody listening. You know, whatever those conversations are, everybody's got one or two people that they probably could reach out to. Um, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, if you leave with Grace, man, it's uh, some really beautiful things have happened to me, and I hope that it continues to happen for others. It's a great way to not have regrets or minimize them, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really incredible. So, again, we had said it earlier, but it's 12secondculturebook.com. Mm-hmm. 12 is the numbers one, two. Mm-hmm. And then where else would you like people to, to go to follow you or check out the business, anything? Yeah, uh, deckleadership.com um, is our site. Uh, we are... You know, if you shoot us a note, we'll respond back. And then I'm Mike at DeckLeadership.com. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn pretty pretty frequently. I don't do too much. I mean, I have Facebook and Instagram, but uh, yeah. yeah, LinkedIn, email, or website. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much, yeah. Get ready to get inundated <laughs> with emails. That's fine. <laughs> I'm good with that. And the sweet spot really for you on companies looking to incorporate the lessons learned that you incorporated to mm-hmm. take pit crews from very bottom to very top. Yep. Not everybody can afford, you know, like a solopreneur is probably not going to be able to afford deck leadership you know, rolling out a NASCAR to do team team building and training. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, talk about the types of companies that yeah. really call on you and mm-hmm. say, we need some help? Uh, manufacturing, like big manufacturing, big finance somehow, which is crazy. Um, hedge funds and private equity companies. Um, and then pharma have been like our big three, which That's is super, yeah, right? Um, yeah. Not what we thought. We thought we'd get into, you know, maybe hospital systems like you know er people or people that are are in something kind of urgent and and, and chaotic but they are too it's just different um yeah those would seem to be the top three but you know it it's we've done you know like we were helped kick off notre dame's season last year which was really special because um coach kelly at the time had only brought in i think it was 11 people to speak wow he 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 he's the speaker yeah and he's right. great they, right. they're win- winning his coach in their history right and so we were the the 12th and last people i think to come in and speak to the team so that was an incredible honor um but yeah so one other thing that i would say is because a lot of the listeners on this podcast are privately held businesses so they're going to be smaller than avery avery debt De- sure. right yeah, yeah. but that doesn't mean that you still can't learn and and I'm not plugging this book because I get a, a royalty. I'm not, you know. <laughs> here's your, here's your three yeah. cents per book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that isn't it at all. But it, like, there are some gems and nuggets of gold in that thing that you could implement, and practical steps that'll spark your imagination. Yeah. And I would really encourage you if you've got a leadership team bring them into that book journey and and study it together and have conversations about it because that would be really cool and uh even if you know they can't afford to do the full monty where you're bringing the nascar and all that kind of stuff there's probably still things that you can learn from that book i know you can learn from the book but there might be even other opportunities to just even connect with mike and sean yeah. And uh, so, anyway. Yeah, 
shoot us an email we i mean we're responsive we love that stuff um yeah i mean it's you know some of those bigger companies will bring out the race car and the crew and we'll turn their entire team or you know we've done 120 people turning them into having a pit crew challenge in a parking lot in dallas you know like it's cool um but if it's hey we want to have five people in our team read go through the book can you guys come on and jump on a 30 minute hour call at the end of it just to talk about it or like we're happy to do that mm-hmm. I love yeah that that'd be stuff. really cool yeah, yeah that'd yeah. be really cool we'll so. call it just we'll, we'll we'll call it the anything but typical uh discount <laughs> perfect <laughs> our first one <laughs> yeah. michael invoice us yeah, afterwards yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. no sean will invoice you, there you go. yeah <laughs> no i'm just kidding Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mike. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah we. I, I wanted him to be here today. He's. He's. You know, I, none of this would be possible without him. Like he's a lot smarter than I am. So uh, they had had a, a hiking trip planned today, yeah. and I think he's got his parents in town. So if we do a part two, write another book, make sure we're both. Yeah, here. that'd be great. Yep. Yeah. And I know that you were really pushing for that. So it is the dynamic duo of yeah Mike and Sean. So yeah. Anyway, for sure. Thank you.